This is CPX number 84, Extreme Unction. We are in the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 103 to 104, question and answer, just number 1 through 6 today. God give you his peace, and omni patris affiliate, spiritu santi, amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good, and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good, amen. In omni patris affiliate, spiritu santi, amen. And just a quick reminder for you, you know, I'd encourage you to invite a friend to learn CPX. Maybe they're new to the Catholic faith, or maybe they've been Catholic for a long time, or maybe they're just interested in the Catholic faith. You can subscribe and then catch up later. I know it's kind of daunting to look at 84 videos on a series and still want to subscribe. But again, I think you can subscribe and catch up later. Um, and if you're new to the series, don't be afraid to do that. Also, if you've been with us from the start, remember, we're about halfway done, but what I'm going to promise after this, God willing, is a series on the Catechism of the Council of Trent. We're just going to go in the same way because, you know, on the VLX series, we have all four Gospels to get through, and we're barely through the first half of Matthew, but in CPX, we're halfway through this little catechism. So what I'm going to continue on, and we're going to call it CPX, just so it doesn't confuse people, but essentially... Uh, in about a year, we're going to be starting the Catechism of the Council of Trent, and we're going to use the same format as here. Again, thanks to all my donors who make my life possible. And you know, today is called Extreme Unction. That is the old school term for what many of you know to be anointing or last rites. Anointing is kind of the, uh, the new term. But the actual sacrament has always been called Extreme Unction. It's a sacrament you're supposed to get on your deathbed. And as I read you the Catechism today... What you see if you're doing the video version is the anointing kit of Father Richard Heilman. I just think it's cool, so I put it up, and he gave me permission in the past to use it. Number one, what is extreme unction? Answer, extreme unction is a sacrament instituted for the spiritual as well as for the temporal comfort of the sick in danger of death. Number two, what are the, what are the effects of extreme unction? Answer, the sacrament of extreme unction produces the following effects. One... It increases sanctifying grace. Two, it remits venial sins and also mortal sins when the sick person, if contrite, is unable to confess. Number three, it takes away weakness and sloth, which remain even after pardon has been obtained. Number four, it gives strength to bear illness patiently and to withstand temptation and to die holily. And number five, it aids in restoring us to health of body if it is for the good of the soul. Number three, when should extreme unction be received? Answer, extreme unction should be received when the illness is dangerous and after the sick person has received, if possible, the sacraments of penance and the blessed Eucharist. It is even well to receive it while he has the use of his senses and still has some hope of recovery. Number four, why is it well to receive extreme unction when the sick person has still the use of the senses and still some hope of recovery? Answer, it is well to receive extreme unction while the sick person retains the use of his senses and while there remains some hope of his recovery because one, he thus receives it with better dispositions and is hence able to derive greater fruit from it. Number two, this sacrament restores health of body, should it be for the good of the soul, by assisting the powers of nature and hence, it should not be deferred until recovery is despaired of. Number five, with what dispositions should the sacrament of extreme unction be received? Answer, the principal dispositions for receiving extreme unction are 
to be in the state of grace, to have confidence in the power of the sacrament and in the mercy of God, and to be resigned to the will of the Lord. Number six, what should be the sick person's feelings on seeing the priest? Answer, on seeing the priest, the sick person should feel thankful to God for having sent him and should gladly receive the comforts of religion, which, if he is able, he should request for himself. Thus are the words of the Holy Pope. So let's start by just looking at number three first. When should extreme unction be received? Extreme unction should be received when the illness is dangerous and after the sick person has received, if possible, the sacraments of penance and the Blessed Eucharist. It is even well to receive it while he has the use of his senses and has still some hope of recovery. Okay, as I'm going to talk about a little bit later today, the main difference between the old and the, u- and the new use is the danger of death. That in the old school rules of the Catholic Church, you really only got extreme unction when you were in danger of death. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But notice that the Pope says you should do this before you lose your senses. You should ask for extreme unction or anointing before you lose your senses. I made the point on previous podcasts that when I moved from the Novus Ordo world to the traditional world about halfway through my 11 years of my priesthood, it was in the Novus Ordo world that I found that upwards of 90, probably 95% plus of those deathbeds that I got called to were already in a coma. What's the problem with this? Well, the problem is once you call the priest after the person is comatose, that person cannot make a good confession. And that's, as we're going to see a little bit later, the most important preamble, the most important sacrament leading up to extreme unction. Now, number four mentions that receiving extreme unction will give you better dispositions and have you derive greater fruit. This was before everyone was snowed on their deathbeds with narcotics. If Pope Pius X were alive today, I believe he would have a new point in today's section saying the supreme importance of having your faculties, your mind, being awake and alert about you on your deathbed to avoid all of those final temptations of despair and to make acts of trust and perfect contrition. Of course, we don't need to be awake and alert, of course, up until the last breath to go to heaven or even to make it to purgatory. But it's amazing to me how many saints had their wits about them until the very, very end. And also remember the saints talk about the final agony. Many saints say at the final agony, that's their last few breaths on earth. All of hell is released upon us. I know that's not very popular to talk about. Um, There's a lot of demons against us, but There's also a lot of angels helping us if we've been faithful in this life or even if we've received the sacraments and are truly contrite for our sins and loving God on our deathbed. But I really think that many or all of us will find that this final agony, that final battle for our soul, is truly a battle of trust versus despair or perhaps contrition versus presumption. In other words, on our deathbeds, we should be really sorry for our sins but have a lot of trust in God, a ton of trust in God, not trust in man. Now, I think a lot of you out there are Catholics like me, that you've gone from being modernist Catholics to apostolic Catholics. And so the term we've learned more recently in church history is anointing. But the traditional term that the church has used for this sacrament is extreme unction. Extreme unction is the anointing you get on your deathbed, also called last rites. Now, the biggest difference that you're going to notice between modernists and traditionalists on this sacrament is the threshold of who gets anointing. Pretty much in a Novus Ordo parish, and and I know this sounds like I'm being mean, um, but really if you have the sniffles, you can get extreme unction. Um, Sometimes they'll have healing masses or whatever, and then after that, anybody who's slightly sick can come up and get anointed. 
The tradition of the church is that you get this when you're in danger of death. And we're going to look at what Pope St. Pius X said uh, on all of this. I'll give you a quick example. My dad was going to have um, some general anesthesia surgery last week, two weeks ago. It got canceled. Um, you can still pray for him. And it wasn't going to be super dangerous, but it was still general anesthesia. And I had understood that general anesthesia was danger enough of death to do it. So I was going to give him anointing, extreme unction. But I called a traditionalist priest, and he very gently explained kind of the church's parameters. And as he was leading me down that road, I realized my dad didn't reach um, the requirements for receiving extreme unction. Um, yeah, general anesthesia can be dangerous, but the example that this priest said that was often used in seminaries is if a soldier's going off to war, even though he might receive mortal wounds, going off to war is enough. Now, if he goes to war and he receives a mortal wound and he's still alive, then he can receive extreme unction. But just going off to war isn't, isn't reason enough. On the other hand, traditionalist priests don't want to be too stingy in giving out this wonderful sacrament because, as the Pope said, the sick person should be given this when he still has use of the senses and still has some hope of recovery. And the Pope says, quote, This sacrament restores health of body, should it be for good of the soul, by assisting the powers of nature. In other words, it can heal you physically. And he says, And hence, it should not be deferred until recovery is despaired of. So, you only get, you really should only get apostolic pardon once in your life, but extreme unction, even though it shouldn't be given out, you know, willy-nilly to anybody with the sniffles, you should be giving it to a person who still has the use of the senses, some hope of recovery, but uh, as the Pope said in the first one, this person does have to be in danger of death. That's a direct quote from number one today, in danger of death. Now, in number five today, he said you really should receive extreme unction in a state of sanctifying grace. Why? Okay, well, you know me and mnemonics. I'm going to give you the mnemonics. These are the things that you want to look for on the deathbed. It's PEXAP, P-E-X-A-P. -E might want to write that one down, but I'll put it in the show notes. P-E-X-A-P. These, the, these are the sacraments you want to look for on the deathbed of yourself or a loved one. P stands for penance. E stands for the Eucharist. X stands for extreme unction. So extreme, you don't need the E, as my friend used to say. And then AP is apostolic pardon. So PEXAP, P-E-X-A-P, Penance, Eucharist, Extreme Unction, Apostolic Pardon. That's the order a priest should go in. That's the traditional order that when a priest shows up at a deathbed, what he wants to have is his um, order of operations, his standing operating procedures, the, the basically like the ABCs that we learned as a paramedic. This is what we want to look for for those who've been baptized. Obviously, if someone has some faith or you can give them the faith and they want to be baptized, that should be prioritized at the very front. But for a baptized soul, even a non-Catholic Christian, if you can get them to want to accept even the basic truths of the Catholic faith on the deathbed, the lay person is going to want to make sure that person's baptized and baptized up because there's a lot of Protestants out there who are not baptized and then you can baptize that person on the deathbed. And if the person is baptized but a non-Catholic and there's no priest around, you can walk them through a act of perfect contrition. Father Wolf has a good talk out there on that. Um, now, as far as having a priest there, again, the order is penance, and you want to start with confession. Obviously, someone, this goes back to what he said, you have to be in the state of sanctifying grace to receive the Eucharist and receive extreme unction. So that's why PEXAP starts with P. Now, let's say the priest comes to someone who's in a coma. Now, this is, this is um, something that a lot of modernists don't know, the, the power of extreme unction, that the Pope said today, quote, it, the sacrament of extreme unction, quote, remits venial sins and also mortal sins, which the sick person, if contrite, is unable to confess, end quote. 
okay, what does unable to confess mean? Obviously, it means if he's in a coma or something like that. Now, pex app again, penance, Eucharistic extreme unction, apostolic pardon. The apostolic pardon, that, I should have added that in my last CPX. If you remember my last CPX, I gave all the ways to get out of purg to get your purgatory time on earth down to zero. That would have been the fifth one I should have named right there because the apostolic pardon, if you are blessed enough to receive that on your deathbed, um, brings the uh, purgatory counter down to zero. Um, that really should be the last part of receiving extreme unction. And even though you can receive extreme unction more than once in a life, even in the traditionalist world, the apostolic pardon really should be truly received only once. Now, of course, it's not a big problem, of course, if you receive it more than once, but uh, really this is the, the apostolic pardon should be given in what the saints called the final agony. We're going to talk about that in a minute, the final agony. Let's pan out for a minute, though, and ask, since we're talking about matters of salvation and there's so many Catholics poorly catechized and, um, you know, it's very hard for priests to get into hospitals right now, what are the two most important sacraments of salvation? The answer is baptism and confession. Okay, then why do so many modernist priests put the emphasis on getting to the hospital with the Eucharist and anointing? I thought for a long time it's because they were mistrained on the sacraments, but it's actually because modernist priests have a different faith than the fathers. You see, I'm sorry to say this, but 95% of the priests out there think 95% of the population is going to heaven. And I can already hear people say, oh, Father David, no, they don't. Yes, they do. <laughs> and I, because I've talked to hundreds of priests. And I'm going to, uh, you can actually prove this to yourself. So try this little experiment. I want you to think of someone you know in real life and go to a non-traditional Latin mass priest and just go go describe a real person to a priest friend of yours. Describe a person who's dead, who was actually a good person who lived a sacramental life and ask that priest if that person is in heaven. Then wait a month, wait a month and go to that same priest friend of yours, but then this time describe a real person who died in your life who is a good person but not living a sacramental life. I guarantee that non-traditional priest will place both of them in heaven. Just try it. If you don't believe me, just go try it. Just really emphasize, but it has to be a separated a month because they might know you're up to tricky questions. Separated a month and describe two good people, the first living a sacramental life and the second not living a sacramental life. Or flip it, doesn't matter to me. I guarantee the non-traditional priest will place them both in heaven. Okay, now I can already hear the comeback from my enemies on this. Well, that's because traditional Latin mass priests judge people. That's because traditionalist priests judge people. Well, okay, hold on. Try this little experiment then. Do that exact same experiment that I just described. Describe a real person dead to a traditionalist priest friend of yours. Describe this as a good person who lived a sacramental life. Ask that traditionalist priest if that person's in heaven. Wait a month. Then go describe a dead friend or family member uh, to that traditionalist priest and describe this person, think of someone truly who is living a, you know, who is a good person, a nice person, but living a non-sacramental life, what do you think the traditionalist priest is going to answer? For both of those, he's not going to have an answer. You know why? Because he doesn't know. <laughs> this is what's so funny about saying traditionalist judge. We don't know who's in heaven and hell. That's the big danger of all the modernist priests canonizing everybody, saying everybody's in heaven, is they are usurping God's job as the judge of souls. I don't know who made it to heaven and hell. I don't tell people that. Because a traditionalist priest will not judge. Isn't that ironic? We're always told we're the judgmental people. No, no. I will never say where I think somebody is. 
Um, a traditionalist priest will not judge. Now, a non-traditional Latin mass priest, even one labeled conservative, unfortunately, notice if he does a sermon at a funeral. Let's say an old lady who is a daily mass communicant, he will put her in heaven. How about the guy who hasn't been to mass in 40 years and he's buried with his fishing rods but loved to fish every, every Sunday? But he was a nice guy. I guarantee he'll be canonized. He'll also be put in heaven by that non-traditional Latin mass priest. Whether that guy's conservative or liberal, he's going to put both of them in heaven. Now, of course, he's going to have a more accelerated view to canonizing the old lady who went to daily mass. But I guarantee the guy who just fished on Sunday and is buried with his fishing rods and hasn't been to mass or confession in 40 years, he's a good person. The conservative non-traditional Latin mass priest is going to put him in heaven. Sorry, it's just, it's just what he's going to do. I'm sorry to say this, but... I guarantee that priest will put them both in heaven. Yeah, he'll use different vocabulary, but they're both they're both going to be put in heaven. Or that conservative non-traditional priest talk about babies dying without baptism and with baptism. I guarantee that priest will put them both in heaven. I'm not saying those any of those babies are in hell, but without getting into limbo debates, just ask yourself then what does baptism really do if both the baby died with baptism goes to heaven and the baby that died without baptism goes to heaven? The answer is absolutely nothing for the modernist priest because everyone goes to heaven. The old man who fished on Fridays and the daily mass communicant, the baptized baby, the unbaptized, really at the end of the day for the modernist priest, even the conservative ones, they all go to heaven. Um, so how many people did the saints say went to heaven? Let's look at that. Remember I mentioned the fathers, I meant the church fathers. Let's look at St. John Chrysostom. Now, as you know, he was an Eastern bishop and he was a bishop in the fourth century over Constantinople, then very, very Christian. Uh, now it's Istanbul, went from Christian to Muslim to now secular. Um, but I point out to you that he was Eastern because there's there's going to be some people who might say, well, yeah, the Western Tridentine saints had very dark views of how many people went to hell. Well, okay, so how many people did St. John Chrysostom, Eastern bishop, early bishop of the church, say would be saved in his city in the fourth century? Here's what he famously wrote, quote, What do you think? How many of the inhabitants of this city may perhaps be saved? What I'm about to tell you is very terrible, yet I will not conceal it from you. Out of this thickly populated city with its thousands of inhabitants, not 100 people will be saved. I even doubt whether there will be as many as that, end quote. In fact, I don't think he just wrote that. I think he actually probably preached that from the Hagia Sophia. And I believe, again, that's when he was archbishop of that very Christian city, Constantinople, enormous city, when he, when he said that. And again, out of he says, quote, out of this thickly populated city with its thousands of inhabitants, not 100 people will be saved. I can already hear the comeback. Well, that's just a saying. Okay, well, Jesus said in Matthew 7, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So what does this have to do with extreme unction? What this has to do with is the fact that you need to be on the narrow way. And the two most important sacraments is baptism and confession, especially under these ridiculous lockdowns when priests can't get to people who are in hospitals and priests are terrified. It took me, I have a friend who has a father in a unit with COVID right now. And the priests in this city, we had to call four or five of them to finally find someone who was courageous enough to go anoint her father with COVID. Absolutely insane. We couldn't find a priest um, until we found, I think, the fifth or sixth person. I don't even know the number. But the, the thing I think you need to ask yourself is, am I on the narrow road? 
You need to ask yourself if you're getting the sacraments from priests who even believe the road is narrow. And everyone out there knows I've never claimed things are perfect in the traditional Latin Mass world, but I guarantee you 99% of the priests out there offering the traditional Latin Mass take Jesus' words seriously on the salvation of souls. The quote, The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. End quote. So yeah, extreme unction is awesome. It can heal you. It can give you the strength to... Um, be saved. You can, you know, if you if you regularly use the sacraments and you get smacked by a Mack truck on an Eisenhower interstate system in mortal sin, and you are taken to the hospital in a coma and you can't confess, the beautiful thing about extreme unction is that will even remit your mortal sins if you've kept up some use of the sacraments up to that point. Um, it's not a magic trick that if you've been gone from confession and mass for 40 years, it's going to remit mortal sins. But if you've if you go into a coma in mortal sin and you have been used, don't bank on this. It's better to not never mortally sin and it's better to get to confession as soon as possible. But the power of extreme unction is it can remit both venial and mortal sins for those making some frequent use of the sacraments. As I just read in CPX, in the, catech in the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, he himself said, and this is the tradition of the church, it can relieve mortal sins. Um, but again, with priests unable to get to patients in ICUs, CCUs, emergency departments, COVID units, blah, 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 it's a lot better to aim towards supernatural faith and baptism and confession for you and your loved ones. And then if you can receive extreme unction on your deathbed and the apostolic pardon, all the better. So please pray for me that I may strive even harder to enter there into heaven because a priest's judgment will be most exacting. Please say an Our Father for me, et benedictio Domini potentis, patris et spiritus sancti, descendit super vos et maniat semper. Amen.